0: First John chapter 1 and verse 3 says this, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John and the other apostles were eyewitnesses of the life death and resurrection of christ and they preached this gospel message to us for this reason so that we could have fellowship the purpose of the gospel was to give us fellowship fellowship john says with them and also with the lord And John uses the word fellowship four times in just a few verses, in verses 3 to 7. So it must be important. So I want to talk to you today a little bit more about fellowship. And you can always go back online and hear our messages from two weeks ago, and that will help you to better understand what we're saying today. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, koinonia, and it means that which is shared. That which is shared. It is a relationship that is based on what is held in common. A relationship, a kind of a relationship that is based on what you have in common with someone else. It is a camaraderie that is built on a shared experience or condition. A camaraderie that's built on a shared experience or condition. Now, whenever we hear the word fellow, the English word, I think we instinctively think of simply a man, a male, as opposed to a a woman. But actually, originally, the word didn't mean that. It meant an associate, a companion, or even a partner in a common cause. And it's interesting, the New Testament uses the expression fellow servant or fellow servants ten times. Paul describes other ministers as fellow workers 12 times. Twice he refers to ministers as fellow soldiers, using figurative speech. While in jail, he referred to other men as fellow prisoners, three other men. He called them fellow prisoners. He said all believers are fellow citizens with the saints and fellow heirs. Peter addressed other pastors as fellow elders. And there's something I want to say to you in general. You may not think it's apropos. You may not think that it really uh, is relevant, but but I believe believe it is. Generally speaking, we should make an effort to always connect with other people. Generally speaking, which means, you know, not always. There's some exceptions But generally speaking, we should always make an effort to connect with other people. We ought to build more bridges and fewer walls between ourselves and those around us. If possible, it's not always possible, but if possible, try to find common ground with everyone you meet. For example, if I work in an office, um, I have there is a kinship that I have with my fellow employees. I know the church staff they have this certain you know, band of brotherhood because, you know, they've endured battle together dealing with me. So there's a certain kinship that they have among themselves. If I'm a passenger on a train or a plane, I share that experience with my fellow travelers. I've been on flights where, you know, we were delayed and delayed, then canceled and put on another flight. And we all kind of grew closer to each other because of this shared, you know, dilemma that we experienced together. If I'm studying in I can relate to my fellow students. And here's something I want you to know that if you read the scriptures, particularly the book of Acts, it's really clear that the apostle Paul was not only um, anointed and certainly knowledgeable, he was also a people person. He valued relationships and recognized and nurtured divine connections. There are divine connections. There are people that God will bring into your life for a reason or for a season, because it's part of your journey. It's part of the equipment. It's, it's the grace of God in your life. So you need to recognize those divine connections. Amen. Amen. And make the most of them. Hallelujah. For example, think about this. It seems mundane. It seems innocuous. Something that you might read and just skip over it. But the Bible tells me that in Corinth, in the city of Corinth, Paul stayed with a man named Aquila. Why? Well, he was a Jew like Paul, but also by trade he was a tent maker. So it was simply a business arrangement. Paul needs to make money. He preaches, you know, like on weekends, but during the week, he has to support himself. Yes, you can support yourself in the ministry. And so he's working a job, and he's staying with this man. However, later, Aquila and his wife Priscilla began to travel with Paul. And they eventually became skillful in teaching the word of God themselves. Where did they get that? They got it from Paul. In fact, they mentored a man named Apollos, who eventually became a powerful voice for Christ in the church. And then Aquila and Priscilla eventually pastored a church themselves. So here's my question to you. Do you have that kind of a godly influence on your business partners? Is my mic on? Let me ask you it again. Do you have that kind of a positive, powerful, godly influence on the people that you associate with or the people that you do business with? Amen. Let me give you another example. In the city of Ephesus, Paul's preaching sparked such controversy. Not everybody warmly received the gospel that it sparked a riot in the arena, in the town arena. And Paul in the mayhem was determined to go in and address the unruly mob. He he thought this is a golden opportunity to preach to them. But Acts 19 verse 31 says this, That some of the officials of the province, government officials, who were his friends, urged him not to enter the arena. Some of the government officials who were his friends urged him not to enter into the arena. We don't even know. It's not clear if, if these government officials were even Christians. Maybe they were, but maybe they weren't. But they were concerned for Paul's welfare because of their mutual friendship. And what does that mean? Well, even though the Bible doesn't specifically tell me, I can deduce, he spent some time with these people. He talked with them. He conversed with them. Hallelujah. He had friends. Amen. No man is truly poor who has good friends. Then again, Paul was sent to Rome to face trial before Caesar. And during the voyage, the ship encountered a fierce storm that ravaged that boat for many days. And in the midst of the storm, on deck, Paul announced to everyone on board, an angel has appeared to me and told me, we're all going to make it. Every one of us is going to survive. Then several days later, when the the sailors and the crew had gone without food for many days, some 14 days, if if you can imagine that, Paul encouraged them, man, you need to eat something. This is for your good health. And then he reassured them, not a hair of your head will perish. We're all going to make it. Later, when the ship ran aground, the soldiers planned to kill all the prisoners lest they escape. Because the law was, if you're in, uh, given the responsibility entrusted with guarding a prisoner and he escapes, it's it's your life for his. So the so the Roman soldiers wanted to kill all the prisoners, but the, the centurion on board, the officer in charge, stopped them in their plans because he wanted to spare Paul and everybody made it ashore just like Paul said. Now here's my point. I don't know if you ever thought about this. If Paul had remained, remained hidden below deck for the entire voyage and refused to even engage conversation, talk to anybody, even acknowledge their presence, those soldiers probably would have slit his throat and thrown his dead body overboard. It might be helpful for you to be a little more friendly. <laughs> I said it might, it, might, it might pay you to be a little bit more friendly. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So here's my point. In his preaching and in his ministry, Paul did make enemies wherever he went. Because the devil stirred up controversy. But that's not all. He also made friends everywhere he went. See, some people think I'm just like Paul. Why? Everybody hates me and I hate everybody. No, you're you're not just like Paul. (laughs) Paul made it a point to develop and nurture relationships. Are you listening to me? I know this sounds like an Argenix message, but the big kids need to hear this as well, Brother Santi. Hallelujah. Some people, I don't know if they're here this morning. They're probably at home watching online. Some people choose to live in isolation. They shun contact with others. I mean, even if somebody says, how are you doing? <laughs> Let's shake hands. Amen. Is it, It's interesting that in prison, in prison, one way that the jailer punishes an unruly inmate, is to put him into solitary confinement. So when you choose to live in isolation, you are punishing yourself. Hallelujah. God did not call you to be a loner and a recluse. Come on, I don't know if you're just thinking or whether you're, 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 you're offended, but God did not call you to be a loner. To live as a recluse, the Bible says in Proverbs 18 and verse 1 whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. Which that means living separated from others is an indication not of maturity, but of selfishness. And it's unwise. It's not God's plan for your life. Amen? Somebody said this, talent is developed in isolation, but character is developed in the stream of life. In other words, you want to learn how to play piano, you need to get alone somewhere and and start practicing. But if you want to mature, you need to have other people in your life. The Bible says iron sharpens iron, so a a friend improves his friend. Well, you know, if you sharpen iron with iron, a few sparks might fly. If that iron can talk, it might say, this is unpleasant, but it is necessary. Not everybody that God brings into your life is going to just, you know, rub you the right way and just just massage your emotions and just, just feel like, you know, a pleasant experience. Some people feel like sandpaper but God is using them to re- get, r- remove your rough edges. Some people, you know, are a thorn in your flesh. Thank God. They give you an opportunity to develop your love walk. They give you a good reason to pray. Hallelujah. They give you an opportunity to strengthen your patience. Thank God for that. Look at the person next to you and say, I think he's talking about you. I don't know. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Maybe I'm pastor sandpaper. I don't know. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I guess so. One Christian psychologist said this. Listen to this. Humans are inherently relational creatures. Inherently means just by nature. They're made that way. Human beings are inherently relational creatures. Deeply designed to connect with other people. What does that mean? God made you for fellowship. It's not normal for you to push everybody else out of your life. That's not pleasing to your father. Another noted psychologist said this. He said, every person needs at least 30 minutes of meaningful conversation with others every day for good health, mental health, to be balanced. Every person needs at least 30 minutes of meaningful conversation with someone else or other people every day. See, I think social media is the junk food of conversation. I said it's the junk food. We're not really getting the nutrients that we need because that's a cheap substitute I don't, I don't think it's necessarily wrong, but that, that, that can't take the place of interacting face-to-face with other people. I said it can be a helpful tool, but it, that alone will not fit the bill, will not do the job. It's not good. I'm going to harp on this some more. It's not good for you to live sequestered, alone. Studies indicate, listen to this, that loneliness poses a greater risk to good health than obesity. Studies indicate that loneliness is a greater risk to good health, physical health, than obesity. You know, if you're, if you're like really heavy like me, you know, the doctor, first thing he says, you need to lose weight. And I feel like you need to get slapped. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, because you know, if you, you know, if you're if you're too heavy, you know, it's you know, you know, it's taxing on your cardiovascular system. Blah blah blah. Well, you know, there's something worse than that. Something worse than high blood pressure. It's living in isolation. We should not allow the fear of rejection, or past hurts, to drive us into a self-imposed exile. Are you listening to me? Yes, I realize there are bad people in this world. And we should choose our friends carefully. We should be selective about who we hang out with. I I get that. I totally get that. But it is not God's will that you spend your days on earth cloistered in your bedroom living like a monk. Why don't you go ahead and shave your head and wear a long brown robe? (laughs) It's not God's will for you to live in your own monastery like a monk, separated from all human contact. Yes, we do need times where we're alone with God. We need that every day. But you also need other people. Think about this. Before Adam sinned, while he lived in perfect fellowship with God, God said it's not good for the man to be alone so we sometimes say that every man has this God-shaped void in his life that only God can fill. True, but every man also has a human-shaped void that only other people can fill. It's real quiet today. The students say amen because we're programmed to, 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 to do that, but, but everybody else needs to say amen as well. <laughs> if they don't say amen, they don't, we don't give them lunch, so that's, that we, we, we've trained them very well. Amen. So notice this. This is actually Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. It's actually Acts chapter 2, verse 42. In the New King James Version, it says this. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued steadfastly, steadfastly, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So when Peter preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to Christ. But these new converts did not then wander off, going it alone. They stayed with that company They not only learned God's word as the apostles taught them, but they fellowshiped with one another. They were part of a community that cared for each other, that shared their passion for Christ. The passion translation says this. It's Acts 2.42. It says their hearts were mutually linked to one another. See, sometimes people... Think about the book of Acts. They think about signs, wonders, miracles, angels, visions. But there's some other things there that are equally important. Community. Because people not only need to believe, they need to belong. They need to be a part of something bigger than themselves. So for us today, the word fellowship means this. Being as committed to one another as we are to Christ. Being as committed to one another as we are to Christ. Amen? Christianity is not something you do by yourself. It is a shared life. Notice in Scripture how many times the phrase, particularly the New Testament, how many times the phrase one another Appears. For example, I'm gonna gonna read through these quickly. Here's a bunch of scriptures. John 13 34 says this love one another. Love who? Myself? Love one another. Mark 9 50 says this be at peace with one another. Someone say amen to that. Romans chapter 12 verse 10 outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12 16 Live in harmony with one another. Some people are good at singing in harmony, but how about living in harmony with one another? Oh, it's quiet today. Hallelujah. Romans 14, verse 13, let us not pass judgment on one another. Wow. Romans 15, 7, welcome one another. Everybody should feel welcome in your presence, especially believers. Romans 15, 14, instruct one another. Romans 16, 16, every young man's favorite verse. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Yeah, pastor, why don't we do that? Nobody here is that holy. That's why we don't do that. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You, you can't even shake hands with a holy handshake. 1 <laughs> Corinthians eleven thirty three wait for one another. Now, see, my wife went to pick up the guest at the airport. I'm glad she didn't hear that verse. (laughs) Actually, she usually has to wait for me. 1 Corinthians 12.25, have the same care for one another. In other words, if it's your family member, I'm sure you're concerned. If it's somebody in the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians 13.11, comfort one another agree with one another. Mm. Galatians 5.13, through love serve one another. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. Mm. Ephesians 4.2, bearing with one another in love. That means putting up, tolerating one another in love. Is there anybody in your life that you have to tolerate? Don't raise your hand. you're the one someone else is tolerating right <laughs> Ephesians 4:32 be kind to one another see many people are kind to themselves how about be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another Ephesians 5:19 speaking to one another addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs wow Ephesians 5:21 submitting to one another Colossians 3.16, admonishing one another or giving counsel. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, encourage one another. How many people, their ministry is going around discouraging one another? (laughs) Encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, do good to one another. For those early disciples in the first century... The church was not a building or an institution. It was a community for Christ and a family of faith. They were partners together who not only belonged to God, they belonged to each other. Amen. Just as no limb or organ can survive separated from the body, so no believer can thrive or flourish being disconnected from others in the body of Christ, right? If you cut off your thumb, I don't suggest you do this. If you cut off your thumb and put it in a box, two weeks later, if you open the box, the thumb doesn't say, I'm here. No, it's, <laughs> it's all dried up. And, what happens when you separate yourself from the rest of the body? You don't move forward. You start dying. So fellowship is a relationship. Based on what is shared in common. Fellowship is a relationship based on what is shared in common. So, this morning, what do we have in common? Are we all from the same ethnic background? No. No. The same nationality? Well, as far as me and the students go, no. Hmm. Do we all have the same? socioeconomic status in society? Nope. Do we all have the same education? Nope. Do we all share the same preferred language? I mean, I'm speaking to you in English, but many of you would say, that's not my first choice. That's not, that's not my mother tongue. That's not my preferred language. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. What do we have in common? Only Christ. Only Christ. And as long as we keep Jesus as the center of our focus, our fellowship will be rich and strong. If we go off topic and go here or there, then our fellowship weakens because we don't all share those other things in common. Amen? Our church is not based on tribe. I understand because of language and history, there's some things, but our church is based on Christ. That's, That's the only thing we have in common. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus is called the chief cornerstone in Scripture. So if I'm joined to him, and then you're joined to him, we'll automatically be aligned to his purposes. The Bible says that I'm in Christ, but Christ is in me. But you know what? Christ is also in that other person as well, and he's in Christ so whether you like it or not, you're connected to the body. Amen. So don't be so independent-minded; be interdependent-minded. We not only need God and His Word; we need one another. Can I get a real amen? I want to read to you another scripture here: First John chapter five, verse one. First John chapter five, verse one. Some of you look so serious; it's scary. You're thinking too hard. I'm not sure what's going on. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So if a man is born again, g- genuinely born again, he is my brother. We may not agree on every point of doctrine. We may not always practice things exactly the same way. But if he's born again, he's received Christ as his savior, then we are together in the same family. And this verse says, if you love the father, you love his family. I'll try that again. If you love the father, you love his family. And if you don't love his family, you don't love God as much as you think you do. Amen. Amen. I'll prove that with another scripture. Some of you will go into hyper serious mode right now when I read this one. First John, First John chapter four, verse 20. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother. He is speaking the truth because God really knows he means... No, forget that. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Well, I don't actually hate her. I just strongly dislike her. Honey, that is the definition of hate. (laughs) Amen. John says, if you don't love your brother and sister in the body, how can you say you love God? You don't. See, a lot of times, actually, people say they love God, and then they redefine God according to their own desires. They're not worshiping God. They're worshiping themselves. Amen. So here's something you need to know. There is a correlation between your vertical relationship and your horizontal relationship. They're connected. There's a correlation between your relationship with God and your relationship with others in the body. One affects the other. See, we can tell how you're getting along with God by how you're getting along with other Christians. See, you think that this is all that matters. That's all just me and Jesus. Just me and Jesus. Just walking down the road by myself, gonna climb Mount Saramati and pray in tongues. Just, just me and Jesus. Everybody else can go to hell, but it's just me and Jesus. No, that's wrong. You're mistaken. Yeah, sure, we need those times of solitude. I got that. We need those quiet times. I understand that. Some people need to do a better job in that area. But you cannot ignore this and have this. Because everybody who loves the Father loves those who are begotten by the Father. So if you're not getting along with these people, you're going to have a problem with this person. Listen, you can can tell me, I love you. Oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, Brother John. But if you mistreat my children, I've got a problem with you. On the other hand, I may not even know you, but if you do something good for my child, you've got a place in my heart. Well, if I feel that way with all my faults and shortcomings, how about our Heavenly Father? Amen. If you want to do something for the Lord, how many of you, out of gratitude, say, I want to do something for you, Jesus. I just want to do something for you. Do you feel that way? I hope you do, right? If you want to do something for the Lord, bless his children. What can you give God that he doesn't already have? What can you do for him for whom all things are possible? What is it? Nothing. But here's something you can do for him. Help his family. Help his kids. So Jesus asked Peter in John chapter 21, Peter, do you love me? And Peter answered, Lord, you know everything. Yes, of course, I love you. And what did Jesus say in response? Oh, that's so nice. I love it. I love it when you love me. I can feel the love. Group hug. No. He simply said three words. Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord. You know everything. I love you. Take care of my kids. Help my family. Feed them. Strengthen them. Encourage them. In other words... This is the best way that you can demonstrate your love for me. I believe in worship, you know, and, I, and, I, and something we major on. But notice, he didn't say, "Peter, do you love me?" Yes, I do. Three, sing three love songs to me every morning. <laughs> Jesus, I love you. <laughs> some people, the Lord would say, "Oh, I heard your voice. I just do something for my children." <laughs> I think some people just like to sing and play their guitar. All right, let's move on. Hallelujah. <laughs> Do something for my people. Hallelujah. So when I was in college, that was a long time ago. That was the last century. When I was in college, I got a job working in the university library, part time. And uh, so there was a bunch of people, and also library, uh, you know, staff that worked there, students and staff. And so I befriended uh, just a colleague, but I befriended this older woman. Her name was Giselle. And she was actually born, I think, and raised in the country of Egypt. And as we talked, you know, in, over the course of several years, I was there, you know, almost four years in, in the library, I discovered that she was a Christian, she was a believer. So we would sometimes, and like nobody else and the whole library was a believer. She was like the only one. So we would chit-chat sometimes and talk, and that was kind of nice and things like that. And though one day she said to me, you know, my daughter is, you know, young. She's like in high school or something like that. She's not doing well, and she's uh, got involved with her a, a, a boyfriend, and he's a bad influence, and, and other friends of hers are taking her the wrong way, and I'm really concerned for her. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. She said, I want you to talk to her. And I said, me, I don't even know her, you know, but no, he said, why don't we get together? And then in the course of the conversation, I think, you know, you could help her. So, um, we all, the three of us, uh, Giselle Galford, her daughter and myself, I wasn't married in those days. So, the three of us went out to eat in a restaurant. I picked them up. And then as we were talking, you know, I was shared what the word of God says. And and, and this girl, young girl, she was listening very carefully, and she, she was mixed up about some stuff, and, you know, and you could see, like, the light coming on, you know, as the truth was dawning on her. And so then we finished, and we, we went home, and as I was driving home, the Spirit of God whispered to my heart. It was so amazing. I felt God's presence all over me, and in my heart, I heard the Lord say, I want to thank you for doing that. I want to thank you for doing that. See, when you bless his kids, when you help them, he appreciates that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, instead of waking up tomorrow morning and say, Lord, bless me. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Bless me coming in. Bless me going out. Bless everything I put my hand to, Lord. Just bless me. Yeah, just double blessing, triple blessing, Lord. Just bless me. Bless me. Bless me in the city. Bless me in the country, too. Okay, okay. Maybe, if I may make a suggestion, maybe tomorrow morning when you wake up, when you pray, say, Lord, is there anything I can do for you today? Uh, you'll get some action on that prayer. God will bless you, but really you're blessed to be a blessing. See, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So, um, Kenneth Copeland... Is not only an internationally known Bible teacher, tremendous man of God, but he's also a professional pilot. He was a pilot even before he was saved, you see. And so he said this that years ago, the Lord spoke to him and told him, Take your jet. He has a private jet. Wow. I always think about that when I'm going through security at the airport. He has his private jet. And the Lord said to him, I want you to fly to the country of Israel from America. Fly to Israel. There's a young, well, a, a woman there. She's a missionary, a minister there. She's in trouble. She needs help. And I want you to go and counsel her with the word and pray with her. And Brother Copeland said, you want me to fly halfway around the world? To talk to one person? And the Lord spoke to him and said, If it was your daughter, you'd go. That's my daughter. And and then Brother Copeland said, Lord, you know, to fly this jet, the fuel is ridiculously expensive. It's like thousands and thousands of dollars, maybe lakhs of dollars to fly that distance. And the Lord said, I'll pay for it. Don't worry, I'll pay for it. And he did. They provided. Hallelujah. See, that's God's attitude. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to read two more scriptures to you before we dismiss or before we move on, I should say. And they're in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11 and 12. Proverbs 24, verses 11 and 12. Listen to this. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Well, I think in a general sense, we could see when people are in trouble, they're going the wrong way. They don't realize they're falling headlong into disaster. Help them. Help them. But notice verse 12. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? So, if we should bless our fellow believer, how much more should we be concerned for others in our own home church? Come on, some people say, yes, Lord, I'll fly to Israel in my own private jet. Ha, you won't even walk across the street. (laughs) Amen? Let me say it again. If we should be a blessing to others in the body of Christ, how much more should we help those in our own church, our own home church? Amen? Amen? Hallelujah? So that means we need to do more than show up on Sunday sit down, sing, say amen, put something in an offering. Of course, some people can't even do that, right? I mean, you know. We need to do more than attend services. We We ought to be concerned about others in this family. The larger body of Christ, of course, yeah, sure, but charity begins at home with your own spiritual family. Amen? So that means if you... Know that somebody's struggling. I mean, at the very least, you you ought to pray, Lord, is there something I can do? How can I help this person? Now, I want to be careful. I'm not telling you to be a busybody meddling in everybody's affairs. Sometimes some people are working overtime at the rumor mill. The only exercise they get is, is running after rumor and jumping to conclusions. And so as soon as they hear a little something, they all pile in their cars and drive over there and say, we heard about this and you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's embarrassing for that person and, and they feel awkward and it doesn't really minister to them. We need to be sometimes more sensitive to the spirit of God. He may tell you, no, 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 you don't need to go anywhere. But maybe he'll arrange that time where you can just happen to bump into that person and Maybe he'll work the conversation. You know, God will help you. But you can't just say, oh, I didn't know. That's what this verse says. Don't say in your heart, oh, we didn't know. Some people don't know because they don't want to know. May I help you? If you think showing up on time, being in the service, maybe a quick cup of tea and then out the door is the will of God you got another thought coming. If you think you just, you, just, you just quickly show up and then exit and that you've done your duty, you've got another thought coming. We need to be as committed this way as we are this way. If you don't care about anybody else, oh yeah, I know you care about your own family, but what about your spiritual family? Come on, some people are carrying all these, these unforgiveness and harboring all this agitation in their heart, resentment, I should say, in their heart, because I remember back, you know, 1997, she looked at me funny. And I remember, you know, back in 2002, he didn't shake my hand. And I remember, you know, and they got, it's amazing how they have vivid, technicolor, 4K memory, all these hurts, you know. See, the problem with many Christians is they remember the things they should forget, and they forget the things they should remember, yeah, but people haven't always treated me right. You haven't always treated people right either, honey. Why don't you start sowing some good seed? Maybe you'll start getting a good harvest coming your way. Hallelujah. We didn't know anything about it. This verse says, but God knows your heart. He knows whether that's a lie or not. Now, you know, sometimes you don't know. I, 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 I'll be honest with you. It's, it's, uh, I don't know everybody's business. I don't think I want to know just every little detail, because sometimes that can mess with your mind. You talk about, you know, giving, and you realize, Brother Zama Zama doesn't give, so you just look right at him when you preach. And... <laughs> so it's not helpful. I mean, jeppy has gone to the airport, but she knows everything about everybody. She and the Holy Spirit, you know, just amazing. She just, But she's also really good. at at doing things to help people. I don't know if you know that or not. She's really good at that. You know, all the time, you know, I realize that my money's not in my house anymore. It's at somebody else's house. You know, she's, she's, just want to thank you for this. Why are you thanking me? Oh, I bought it. I didn't realize that. (laughs) She's really good at that, you know. So at least we should have a level of concern for others. And then may I say something else? I believe God's called me to be the click buster the click buster. You know what that means? You like to hang out with your little clique. Your little group. Your little entourage. These are my these are my BFFs here right here. Yeah. Yeah, we're tight. Yeah. This is oh, stay away. Go don't come don't come in my little group here. No, I'm going to bust that up. Boom. I'm going to bust that up. Sure there are people that you've known for 20 20 years, 20 whatever years. But there's some other people that 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 need what you have, and have something to offer you too, and you're just staying in that little uh, comfort zone, little familiar territory. Not everybody that God brings into your life looks like you. A lot of times they don't look like you. Some of the people that God brought into my life, if I was God, I definitely wouldn't pick that person. <laughs> They don't look like me. They don't think like me. But God brought them because, see, he knows what you need. There could, be some, there could be someone in this church right now that God has selected to be a friend to you. And you won't even give that person a time of day. And then you're wondering why something's missing my life. Well, this, this could be it. King James, New King James Version says, he that would have friends must show himself friendly. You know, when we shake hands, it's not just so I have time to come to the platform. Or we dismiss and encourage you to hang out in the foyer. It's not just so that, you know, we can sell cups of coffee or something. Of course, you know, that's, that's great. But don't misunderstand me. But we want you to fellowship with one another. If nothing else, just how you doing? Maybe you don't always have time to just... I don't have time to give like a long counseling session to people. Sometimes people, you know, they stop me right before I even get to my chair and they just want to jump on me like a tiger and start asking me a thousand questions. And, you know, we don't really have time necessarily. But, I mean, look at all, all of you. You know, you, God can bring people in your life, make connections, and, and, and that may be part of your calling to care for one another. Amen? Would you stand with me to your feet? Praise worship team. Can you also come up here?